Hello, I'm Redmond Bacon, and this is Cinemascapes. Today we are looking at The Hunt, the supposedly controversial black comedy thriller from Bloomhouse Studios that was supposed to ignite fierce discussion across America, but has come out more like a damp squib. And Guilty Bystander, a newly restored classic film noir that plunges us into the criminal underworld of 1950s New York. Let's start with The Hunt. We have to pour one out for this poor film. It has had a truly cursed release schedule. It was initially supposed to come out last year on September 27th, yet following the Dayton and El Paso mass shootings, its gun-heavy premise led to the film being indefinitely shelved. Distributor Universal Studios seemed to have a bomb on its hands until they cleverly repackaged the film this year, leading into its quote-unquote controversial premise. Did you see that article? Every year these liberal elites kidnap a bunch of normal folks like us and hunt us for sport. The new poster was awash in controversial statements. Not appropriate. Designed to stoke division in the country. Shows Hollywood for what it really is. But in the middle of this poster is the new tagline. The most talked about movie of the year is one that no one's actually seen. Followed by See For Yourself on March 13th. But what the distributors probably weren't counting on was this goddamn coronavirus, which screwed its box office potential completely, making only six and a half million worldwide on a budget of $14 million. After these meager winnings, the film was taken from cinemas almost worldwide. This has led Universal to take the unprecedented step of making The Hunt, along with their other releases such as Invisible Man and Emma, available online. Other studios have also taken the same step, with Sony's Bloodshot, Warner Brothers Birds of Prey, and Pixar's Onward all available now to stream for around $20. So people adapt, just like myself. For example, this coronavirus is also the reason we have this podcast, as I have literally nothing else to do. Nonetheless, the key question remains, is the hunt any good? And should you spend around the price of two cinema tickets to watch it? We're the worst. The short answer is maybe, but the long answer will take a little longer than that. Anyway, the format of the review will go like this. First we will do the spoiler-free version, then after ample warning we will dive into the spoiler zone. I'll write in the description below the time the spoiler zone starts and ends, so if you want to learn a little about Guilty Bystander, which comes next, you can do so without having the hunt ruined for you. The premise of Craig Zobel's The Hunt goes like this. Twelve make America great again type conservatives, you know, those with podcasts warning about the deep state, those who believe in their right to bear arms above the right of anything else, those who believe that refugees across the Middle East and Southeastern Europe are just crisis actors. They're all plunged into a field with their mouths gagged, instantly evoking films such as Battle Royale or its young adult ripoff, The Hunger Games. There was a box filled with guns in the middle of the clearing, and once the quote-unquote hillbilly rednecks open the box, which also has a pig in the middle, a muddled animal farm reference we might get to later, liberal elites start shooting at them. What kind 
of sick people would even think of something like that. White people. We're the worst. Deaths come quick and brutal. A major actress disposed of within the first few minutes. A psycho-style bait-and-switch that shows the hunt doesn't play by the rules. But like so many satirical concept films of this type before, such as Cabin in the Woods for example, we are already aware of this premise before everyone was launched into the field, lessening this sense of discovery. But thankfully there are many further surprises in store, with the hunt taking an unusual structure from the beginning. For example, a desolate looking gas station, a place where a group of conservatives look for help, is actually also entirely fake, showing that nothing in this world can be trusted at all. Yet, at this point, I was pretty unengaged. Characters are intentionally one-dimensional news talking points, with the liberals even trying to catch out the conservatives before sending them to an early grave. I thought, if there's nothing more to this movie, this will be just totally exhausting. Then Betty Gilpin, playing Mississippi woman Crystal Creasy, walks in. Finally, I sat up and said to myself, okay, there's an actual character. With unmistakable swagger and lots of attitude, she seems to come in from a better, more nuanced movie. She plays stupid in front of the liberals before dismatching them with venomous glee, all soundtrack to The Raincoats, Fairy Tale in the Supermarket. I did appreciate this classic British band in such a American film. It was a really cool thing to have in there. Anyway, so she's clocked on very quickly that nothing in this world is true, immediately sensing traps all about her. And it is this very paranoia that stands her in good stead throughout the film and helps her to turn the tables on her captors. This film comes at a time when America is severely fractured. The man in the White House, referred to here as the rat fucker in chief, is evidently a moron and that should be obvious to everyone. But many, many, many Americans do actually side with him, even during his gross mishandling of the current coronavirus crisis, for example. How does this lead liberals, who are naturally on the side of immigrants, people of colour, etc., to view the mostly white working class? With dripping contempt, of course. And how do these conservatives view the liberal elites? As the deep state, with evil plans such as Pizzagate and Epstein's Spooky Island, which was actually real, to be fair. Playing into both sides of the debate, the hunt could have been very juicy. It makes fun of both liberal and conservative viewpoints, stating that blinkered worldviews exist across both sides of the spectrum. While the conservatives are too one note, the liberals, to which I guess I belong, are kind of funny. One is proud that Ava DuVernay liked his posts, another gets reprimanded by a woman for using the word guys as opposed to the genderless people, a complaint I've never actually heard among even the most staunch liberals. It's silly stuff, intentionally silly it seems, and provokes a few laughs. In my opinion though, the views could have gone much, much further. There is a sense that the hunt holds back in a way that an S. Craig Zala movie, for example, probably wouldn't have. For example, there are no conservatives of colour. This is an entirely white-on-white -white battle. Well, with one exception. In one scene, when the liberals are picking who they should pick off, they come across a black conservative. 
before intentionally saying, oh, we can't pick him, that's problematic. But black conservatives, Candace Owen, for example, or the problematic yet astute film critic Armand White, they exist. And right now, the worst woman in the UK is Pretty Patel, born to immigrant parents, but uses her own status to beat up on the vulnerable. Wouldn't it actually be interesting to dig into that a little bit? As you can see in the TV series Dear White People, for example. It's like the film wants to be offensive, but not that offensive. Start a few heated dinner conversations, but nothing that ends up with crockery being smashed. What? Damn. You bought me a of steak, huh? You bought me a bite of steak? Yeah! I agree with you. We should be. To be quite honest with you, I actually like capital C conservative movies more, most of the time, especially when they are well made and unashamed about their leanings. Films like Clint Eastwood's 1517 to Paris or American Sniper are patriotic in the best way because they actually tell you something about particular American worldviews without having to cater to liberal talking points. Additionally, for real controversy, I would recommend Dragged Across Concrete, S. Craig Zahler film, with Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson as two unpolitically correct cops. It's an ugly film at times, but at least it commits to its premise and gives you something truly worth remembering. So all in all, while the political points raised in the film are pretty weak to be honest, the shallowness of white liberalism etc etc, better explored in a genuinely brave film such as Get Out, its fleet 90 minute running time as well as its twisty turning narrative, gruesome action scenes and Betty Gilpin's exemplary performance make it worth watching. It's good to see studios take risks like this, although for Bloomhouse this is hardly one of their best or even most controversial hits. For political commentary, you're better off especially in these coronavirus times, watching some of the Purge movies instead. So all in all, I give it a 6 out of 10. Up next, Spoiler Zone! So I hope that music scared a lot of you away, if you didn't want to hear any spoilers. So let's go. The first big reveal in the movie, not that the gas station is phony, which is pretty obvious to begin with, starts when Gilpin's character removes an Arkansas number plate from a car to see a Croatian one underneath, the EU logo and the letters HR, to refer to Hrvatska, the Croatian name for Croatia. So we are in the Balkans, or at least southeastern Europe, a land that knows a thing or two about border crossings, violence and inter-sign hatred. Crystal Creasy, along with an anti-immigration conservative, finds herself in the midst of the refugee crisis, taking a slow rolling train with other refugees that eventually get stopped by the Croatian police. But this isn't really commented upon in any other way than just world building and creating a crisscrossing narrative, especially as there is a liberal among the refugees posing as one of them, and especially as the so-called American ambassador who comes to save them is actually another member of the liberal group tasked with taking Creasy and killing her. It's a strange detour that perhaps could have been used for a sense of history or of perspective, yet both refugee and Croatian police are severely underwritten, giving them no real play in the film's shifting worldview. The Balkans remains the most misunderstood, stereotyped region in film. The hunt does little to change that. So eventually the movie ends with a big showdown between Crystal and Athena. She's the big boss, and it's a nice piece of stunt casting with Hilary Swank. She's an actor known for her bold roles, think Boys Don't Cry or Million Dollar Baby, 
and she lends the film a large amount of presence through her face alone. She's a recognisable face. By merely being an A-list actor, she can embody that deep state, liberal Hollywood vibe pretty well. This all ends with a barnstorming set piece with Athena first explaining the reasons for her evil manner plan, James Bond villain-like, skewering the whole liberal Hillary Clinton-esque deep state worldview before the two women juke it out with kitchen objects, which kind of reminded me of when Family Guy Peter Griffin fights the chicken. This was very entertaining. Oh, crap. Yet, in my opinion, the reveal that Gilpin's crystal Creasy may not be the actual crystal they are looking for, but another woman with the same name is a silly one. It suggests that there is some kind of perfect all-American woman that doesn't exist on either side of the spectrum. It would be cooler, in my opinion, if she was a little bit blinkered, like all of us, rather than just a misunderstood war veteran. Additionally, when she learns that she was picked as the Snowball, a reference to the pig and animal farm that tries to convince the other pigs not to continue their unrevolutionary ways, and reveals that she actually read the book? Is this supposed to be impressive? The book is 50 pages long. Everyone who ever went to school read Animal Farm, no? Maybe I'm just a condescending liberal after all. So now we have moved on to today's streaming recommendation. I figured that short podcasts are better podcasts. You're at home now, not commuting 90 minutes to your dead-end job, and you want a podcast that can be easily digestible across a lunch break. So we're going to make my streaming recommendation a little shorter. This one is for those of you who have a Mubi account. I got a free three-month subscription, and I'm enjoying it a lot this time, so I think I'll keep it. On the German version, at least, they're playing some Berlinale stuff at the moment, but I'm not going to lie, a lot of it is very dry. And while On Body and Soul was excellent, it has just left the platform. I also recently watched Touch Me Not, and yes, I agree with Peter Bradshaw's infamous review that its golden bear was the worst thing that happened in the world since Trump and Brexit. Now today I'd like to recommend the little-known 1950 New York set noir Guilty Bystander, which I think has around five days left on Mubi. With a 35mm print found by the BFI, and restored with the supervision of none other than Nicholas Winding Refn, it is a cool slice of noir by Joseph Lerner that makes the most of its limited settings. It stars Zachary Scott as the coolly named alcoholic Max Thursday, ex-cop turned house detective who wakes up with a bottle of bourbon each morning, suddenly prompted into action when his ex-wife Georgia, Faye Emerson, tells him their son is missing. Featuring a whole host of unsavoury characters of names like Oliviero, St. Paul, Dr. Elder and Vargas, the hard-to-follow part is compensated by attitude and spades, particularly one chase scene through the New York subway which evokes the third man in its use of shadow and light. A particularly cynical morality play, it is a solid three to three and a half star effort that will scratch any particular noir itch you may have right now. In fact, it may even bring you back to the cinemas of the 40s and the 50s, with people smoking in the stands, and a world drenched in black and white. 
So turn the lights off, put this film on, I think you'll really enjoy it. Okay, so that's me done for today's podcast. Tune in next time to see what I will talk about next.